Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy to use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. Before I began my ride around Yorkshire, I put out a request on Twitter for interesting people I should try to meet an interview. One of the suggestions was Jamie, a sand artist and ice sculptor. Intrigued, I clicked through to the Sand in Your Eye Instagram page. They make fantastic, enormous sand drawings, um, a poignant World War I armistice project with Danny Boyle called Pages of the Sea, a, a thousand turtles drawn on Blackpool Beach to commemorate World Ocean Day. A, a Land Rover a kilometre across, and there are sand carvings, ice carvings, light art. I just saw so much innovation. I loved the spirit of just having a crack at stuff he's never attempted before. So I was really intrigued to sit down on a grassy bank outside their workshop and have a chat with Jamie about, well, all sorts of things. His, uh, the, cr the, the creativity, the trying to make your career out of something you love, um, finding a specific niche, and above all, some absolute genius advice for ordering fish and chips. Um, right, I'm sitting, lying on a grassy bank with Jamie. How on earth do you make a living out of making sandcastles? Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So we make we make lots of things now. So we make sandcastles. Uh, we make um, ice sculptures in the winter time. We make big drawings on beaches. We make pumpkins, and then, so we have this season where it it goes from maybe April to uh, December, and then we have a low period from January to March, oh. April, uh, which is really good because you need that time to reset. Yeah, do you like that period? I love it. Yeah, because it's a period of you know. <laughs> People, our job is like really quite dynamic in the things that we do, uh, and the schedule is all over the place. Like we could be, we could get a commission in two weeks, and suddenly have to turn around this really big job. And that's kind of how it is at this time of the year. And so routine is very difficult to grab, and you know, don't undervalue routine because it's really nice sometimes to be able to you know do something on a Friday every Friday, like take your kids swimming and stuff. And so in the winter time, I'm able to do those things, which is really nice, and it's just a really good time to reset and develop your business as well and yourself um so then back to the how do you make a living 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I started maybe in 2004 professionally, I guess. And then I thought to myself, you know, surely I can make a living out of this, not just as a sculptor, but like getting commissions and stuff. And so then... Practically speaking, on a business level, we, you know, I built, I did everything that f- at the beginning, I suppose, is, is you have to in any business. And I um, developed a website and just tried to engage with media and stuff. And things kind of snowballed from there. Um, and then gradually the team builds and, you know, you get really brilliant people coming in, working with you. Um, they're better at some things than you are, which is fantastic. That's the key. It is, yeah. And, and, and it allows me to do... Uh, other things as well um and then gradually yeah people people like what you do and get in touch and so we really you know again in terms of business we we uh we really blog everything and we seo everything and we try to make the website good and we try to make sales good so when we when we first start when i first started by myself someone may come an email and say you know how uh, could we, could we, how much would a sand sculpture be or could we have a sand sculpture wherever and it could take like two weeks for me to get back to them whereas now it's on the day so it, it's it's you know try to get develop it like that um so those are kind of some of the main principles maybe but it's i suppose it's um doing something that you enjoy uh and the and if you do if you've got a little bit of um i don't know, I don't know if talent's a good word for it but if you've got a little bit of a flair for it just a little bit then if you've got then the drive to actually um, learn it properly and do it then you are just going to get better at anything really so like you know I can see that my, my daughter who's four years old you know she's not um, making incredible sculptures now but I can see that potentially she has the potential to do that because if she wants to she could learn anything because she just needs to practice and that's what she does every day she draws every day not because we want her to because she wants to And and if you really focus on the things that you would naturally just get up every day and do then you're just going to become exceptional at it and successful at it um whereas if you're trying to push yourself to do things that um are a bit of a chore that's a bit more difficult i think um thank you you're the um studio yeah, yeah. studio I'm not sure what the technical term is <laughs> yeah um is unlike anywhere i've been before i walked in and there's um what big sand sculptures yeah. and all sorts of arty stuff. And then the walls, these uh, photographs of the, the installations you've done, some are sort of stenciled pieces yeah. on the beaches, some ice things. It's really, yeah. really unusual and varied artwork yeah. you're doing. Uh, I, in my head, again, that I still can't... I love how niche it is. Yes. And one of the things I'm really interested in life is the idea of if you can find your niche, yeah. whatever it is, and become the best at it, if anyone else cares, if there's a, if anyone else cares, then there's potential of making a job out of it. There is, and yeah. here, seeing a professional sandcastle builder, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a great insult. I've met you about ten minutes, and I'm already, fine, I'm already, ri- I'm already ripping into your work <laughs> by meeting a professional sandcastle yeah. builder, and you're making a living out of it. I think yeah, that's yeah. absolutely brilliant. What, what was it that set you off down this the the niche of thinking there is actually an interest in sand sculpture that's worth diving into? Um, well, I mean, when I, the, the way it started, 
he said, just said hello to somebody. And so I was on holiday in Norway, and actually, I'd actually broken my, broken my collarbone mountain biking. And so usually I would be walking across the, in the mountains or something, is what I wanted to do. But in the end, I just ended up going from city to city, and I was a bit bored. And anyway, there's this chap, and he's laying in some dirt, and I was like, what's he doing? And I came back and actually wasn't laying in dirt, it was sand, and he was making a sculpture. And it was uh, promotions for Twining's Tea or something. And I said, hello. And he said, hello, hey. That's what they say, no, I hate. But it was actually English, so naturally we just started chatting. And then I had a briefcase I was painting and stuff at the time. Uh, and I was telling him about that. And he says, oh, what do you think of this sculpture that I'm making? And he was making the Queen, I think, the English Queen. And uh, he says, oh, maybe you could do this, that. And he seemed to uh, value the advice. And he says, look, if you want to have a go, have a go. So I says, yeah, all right, okay. So I had a go, and he seemed to think I had a flair for it. Um, now, that's difficult when you first do anything to know that because you've got nothing to qualify it against um, but I know when I now train people when someone's got a flair for something very very quickly so there's there's talent is important to, uh, to a degree to a degree yeah but I, as I say though if you if you find a little bit of a talent but then you're applied to it, it become if, if you're passionate about it then I think that's even more worthwhile I mean so now we're not just looking for if I'm trying to find sculpts and stuff it's you're not just looking for someone who's got a really strong talent. You're looking for someone who's really enthusiastic. Like, and I don't mean that in a flowery way. Like, if someone's, like I say, willing to spend hours and hours and hours just practicing and doing something, they are just going to become good at it. Um, so, yeah, so I said hello to this chap, and he said, oh, you've got a flair for this. If you want to come to Norway, then do, because I've got a studio. So I went to Norway for two weeks, and it was like a room full of sand, um, <laughs> and in a factory it was and a bed and I just spent two weeks there sculpting basically and then years later he asked me to be an assistant for a job in England and it all just really spiraled from there and a lot of sand sculptors are ice sculptors so it just went went into that as well um, and then yeah the niche thing it is it's like in terms of niche you know I was making things and sand sculpture wasn't very big in England at the time but it was big in Europe and I was like I can make a living out of this, surely. But how are people going to find out about it? Because at first I sent proposals to people and stuff, but it, it doesn't really carry, I don't think. Uh, so I was like, well, surely if people know about it, they will find me. And that's where the website came in. And that's where all the blog stuff comes as well. So you, you, you saw the importance early on of getting people to know about what you were doing. Totally, yeah. And it's so important. And so a lot of our stuff is is that that if people want it, they can find it. Um, and then there's other things, you know, like in terms of, uh, if you feel that there's something where there is a, uh, something's trending and you think, okay, there's a market there, then it's to go on that as well. So, because if, if, you, if you're the only person doing it, then you're on, really onto a winner. So with ice carving, well, there's many companies. So there's, again, there's lots of comp competition there. But um, with um, pumpkins, America is totally trending. The Halloween's becoming more and more popular. So we, some years ago now, thought, okay, let's start making pumpkins. So we're now we're one of the leading suppliers of carved pumpkins in England. So, so October is mad busy. And then the same with sand drawings. That it was like, okay, there's these sand drawings, and no one's really doing this. And so, developed drawing on beaches. Um, these big images and sometimes anamorphic images as well. What's um, that? So an anamorphic image is where, uh, well, well, a graphic image is where you could draw, oh, just my, my alarm, just a second. Ta. 
So a graphic image is where um, you draw a face and it can only be seen from a drone from the sky, let's say. Uh, an anamorphic image is where you stretch it so that somebody on the ground can see it. Uh, like on the sports TV Exactly like, and like rugby, yeah. when they're doing an advertisement uh, thing. So we do that on beaches. Um, and, and yeah, so we developed it that... We appear to be the only company that can do that kind of thing. Uh, and we're just, yeah, we're, we're doing all right. So niche, if you can, is yeah. really good. Do you remember um, the first time you charged someone money for yeah, making do, a yeah. sandcastle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I made, uh, it was in Warrington, I think it was in Warrington. We made a mermaid, I think. And yeah, I didn't sleep at night. And that's the other thing is that when you first do these things, it's really, our stuff is really event-based. And I think the, the anxiety is in the unknown. So, you know, you're planning and planning and planning. And then, but there's so many variables, it's hard to quantify, to, to, to compute them all. So it's really stressful. And then there's the adrenaline. So I remember not sleeping at all that night. And then uh, the event came around. And when the event was going, it was like, well, I know this. I know the sand. It's here now. I'm good at this. The, the, yeah, the sand. The, the, I think the stress for us when we're doing events is more... When the material arrives, is it correct? Because we don't use the same sand all the time. Um, uh, or in a beach, are the beach conditions going to be okay? But once we've got the material, then it's it's a lot easier. Um, that that first time when you were, someone phoned you up and said, why don't you come to Warrington and build a sculpture? And you, in your head, just have to think of a number of cash and say, this will cost you <laughs> this amount of money. How did you feel? And Did you feel like, yeah, I'm making this, it's worth this. Or did you just feel, this is ridiculous, I'm charging him for this. And No, I don't know. It's, did you feel I, all I right tried, doing that? I tried to work it out. Um, what I, what I, yeah, how much, how long it would take and materials and stuff like that. Um, and then they went for it and then, yeah, we, we made the sculpture. And I mean, back to stress is that afterwards I remember thinking, I don't think I could continue doing this many because this is so <laughs> stressful. But then actually, as the projects progressed and we did more and more, you find that you 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 cope with it and and you like you be, you develop a self confidence and things are working and and it and yeah and and always there will be always something that not that doesn't go quite to plan but you will often deal with it as well, um, and then in terms of like your business models and stuff is that you know I think maybe the, even five years in I think I was like I'm you know I appear to be doing these reasonably large projects but I. I appear to, and then I pay everybody. There's no money left. It's like, what's going on? And so one one big thing to think about if you are doing anything like this is overheads. Work out what your running overheads are um, because you do, you have to charge your clients not only for the job itself, but for the overheads in the running in the business. And if you don't, that becomes, that basically is your wage. <laughs> that disappears. And you've also had to become an expert not only in making art, but in running all this other stuff yeah. and have we found yeah. that aspect of running a small medium business running a business is difficult um i would say maybe uh, only 25 percent, 30 percent of what we do is actually practically making something a lot of it is a event planning uh, and as you say running a business and yeah i mean I did a I did a degree in environmental environmental protection, and in that there was it's quite holistic loads like uh, management and health and safety and stuff. And actually, it's absolutely fantastic that and and uh, and it's really helped helped informed working in the natural environment where we often are. Um, whereas a lot of people who study art, you know, they, they learn about making stuff, but then when it comes to running a business, they're a <laughs> yeah, bit of a loss. Useless, yeah. So I really value. Um, 
that education, that small amount of knowledge that I got at uni. Um, but really say to you know, anyone, you know, if you can get it, cause it really, really helps. You know, knowing how to price something is really quite difficult in some ways. But you need to know it. You can't. Again, you don't want to just pick a number out of the air. You've got to think, okay, how's how's this working and how, how can I actually run a business here? And then in terms of the business grows, you know, I've no massive training. It's kind of you just just muddling along and a lot of it's about people. Um, so, it's yeah, it's, you're working in a team and that's, that's um, one of the most important things, I think. So you're a... Well, perhaps you're not. Are you a both a solitary artistic person yeah and also do you enjoy the team side of things as well yeah. do you do you wear both hats both you do definitely yeah. do you enjoy both hats yeah so like the, the if you've you got to remember that when i first started maybe for the for years i was working by myself from a spare room or from a bedroom or whatever and then people would start to work part-time i'd work with and now we've got a team working full-time all the all time um but when you when you lead a team uh, you're in constant distraction because really you want to be able to focus. And I think the thing with um, maybe an artist as well is that you settle into a certain mind frame, frame uh, mindset where you're able to focus with great um, great detail on certain things to make something. And if you're constantly distracted, it really interrupts that. Um, How do you deal with that? Um, no, I'm I'm. Okay, I'm pretty good, I hope, at being able to flick in and out and being distracted and being able to chat with people and... Idiots and, turning up to have, yeah, demand a yeah. cup of tea and ask you about sandcastles when yeah, you've yeah. got a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I hope that's okay. But I love it when it's just me sometimes. I may just, you know, if, it's we with uh, your own business, if... If um, we get seriously busy, and this is uh, with any business director or owner, or whatever. If this, if someone has to pick up the slack, it's often me or my wife or who, who's directs as well. Um, but yeah, you, so you may find yourself working a weekend by yourself, but that can be really nice as well sometimes. So I do really value my own time. But then, to be fair, the the stuff that we do now can is only achievable in a team. Um, and so that's amazing to have that. Are you good at saying no? Um, no to what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for example, um, when I started uh, working for myself as a yeah. writer and doing talks and selling some photos and things, I was just felt, I've got to say yes to absolutely everything. Yeah, and yeah, I was... Yeah manic for many many years about i've got to say yes to this and even if someone says well will you come to speak to the wi in inverness i think well i might because you never know i might meet that person who will yeah, sign me yeah, a book yeah. deal but at some point in order to get your head in a space whereby you can actually do some good work yeah you need to say no yeah I'm probably and it's okay. hard to do i'm probably okay at saying no i think yeah because as you say, there's only so much things, so many things you can do. When I was a little boy, <laughs> I always say, I always say, I, like, I, I almost, I, I had a nervous breakdown at eleven or nine years old. I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of talking in jest here, but I remember being um, at home and I was, and my mum came in the bedroom and I was under my covers, crying my eyes out. And my mum was like, "Jamie, what's wrong with you? What's up?" And I says, "Well, you know, I'm at school. I'm in, the, I'm in the lead in the school play." 
This is um, ahead of the school year, this year. I'm doing this and that. They now they want me to be in a basketball team. I can't play basketball. I'm kind of making up. I'm sure, well, maybe not. And my <laughs> mum was like, you know, and I, was, I was in the orchestra, you know, playing the trumpet or the cornet. My mum was like, Jamie, you can't do everything. There's only so much, there's only so many things you can do in life. And therefore, you need to think about what's really most important to you and just do those things. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so that really young age is kind of stuck with me till now even. It's like, you've got to really focus on what it is that you really want to do and and try and do those things. In, in a business, it's difficult in that um, we have to generate income and revenue and stuff. Um, but yeah, certainly I, I can prioritize. Yeah. I think. That's a good thing to be able to do. Um, what What are some of the most impressive mistakes you've made um, in the last 10, 15 years? Um, wow. And I'm asking that not out of schadenfreude, but yeah. as what, what you've learned from that. Well, the th- I mean, the first thing is that we make mistakes all the time. Um, and And I think that's really important important uh, in terms of creativity and stuff is that you've got to allow yourself to make mistakes because if you if you don't and you and you've got to allow your team as well to make mistakes because if you have this culture of not making mistakes then no one will step out and actually take it take a leap or just try even because they're too concerned about being uh, berated and so i'm really like people when they meet me probably think i'm a fumbling idiot because i'm always blurting out stuff and i'm always uh, getting things wrong but I'm a little bit, I'm not overly concerned about that. I don't take it too personally. Um, but I think the blundering idiot thing also allows me to <laughs> do things that other people wouldn't necessarily do. I'll give stuff a go. Yeah. So when someone rings up saying, you know, could you make um, a picture of a Land Rover on a beach that's a kilometre long? I'm just <laughs> like, well, you know, I don't know how to do that right now, but I think we can do it. Um, and so... So, yeah, so I think allowing yourself the room to be able to make mistakes, not being too hard on yourself, is so important in life. Um, and so what mistakes have I made? Um, I don't know. It's hard to put my finger on something. Um, if my wife was here, she'd have a list. She'd, have, she'd, she'd, she'd just bring get out, out her book. scroll. Yeah, she'd bring out a book. Okay. Um, but, you know, I was talking about finance earlier on, you know, that whole thing of... If, for a couple of years, I remember doing my accounts and thinking, I'm, I'm, where's the money going? I'm not actually paying myself. And I, I wasn't calculating overheads correctly. So, you know, things like your phone and what have you. And, and, then, and then the other thing is that in business as well is that when you're charging, like, you know, people ask for a day rate and stuff. And it's like, well, actually, the, the, this day has got to pay for all the other days as well. It's like, you know, most of the time we're planning and stuff, we're not getting, you're not necessarily getting paid for that day. So I think originally when we were, when we were, um, pricing and stuff you'd think oh you got your day rating your materials but it's it doesn't work like that yeah and so that when if you are an artist and or you're in any job your rate for your wage on those we call them event days needs to pay your other days as well because if it doesn't you'll become in financial scupper pretty quick um and what do you say when you um someone phones you up and says can you build me a can you do a Land Rover on the beach, really big Land Rover? And you say, yep, it'll cost £5 million. Yeah. And they go, that's a ridiculous amount of money. How dare you charge that? You're a blah, blah, blah. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you um, how do you, how do you justify okay. the money you charge in your head? So I actually, we'll come to, we'll come to a mistake here, actually. Yeah. And, and it's in it roundabouts in the question there. So a mistake that I made um, was um, I 
we did a job and I won't kind of specify exactly what it was, but it was basically a world first. Yeah. And um, we were the only company in the world that could do it. Uh, it was a world record as well. And we were just like, and it came to pricing this thing. It was working with two really big companies. And um, we really wanted to do it because it was like, for our reputation, etc. And it came to pricing and stuff, and I got a price. And then the, the producer of this event was like, oh, you know, that's quite expensive. So we kind of brought it down, and essentially we did okay. It was okay. Anyway, I went to have some business advice, and I paid £400 for it, a day's mentoring, which was a ton of money at the time. And I was like, wow, is this really worth it? But it was, because this lady was brilliant. She, um, she said, in your business, you've got some products where um, you've got competition, like ice sculpture, and you've basically got to price according to um, uh, your competitors, essentially. The market rate. Yeah, market rate, yeah. It says, but you've got other products that where you've developed them because they're niche, uh, like sand drawing at the time. And you've... you've uh, got this thing where you had this job with this company um these two companies and you were the only company in the world that could do it and you knew they wanted to do it and yet you basically charged them cost for it essentially which was a lot it was a bit of a whack but it, it uh you know it it could have been a lot more and so what she told me about was economic worth and you've got to you work out how much it's uh worth uh, what the cost of the project is first of all and then you've kind of got to go well how much do i actually think this is worth to them to them yeah 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 not to us and so and then you do the pick the number out of the sky thing because you don't really know and then it becomes a bit of a bartering thing of uh you know we want to charge you you know two million pounds let's say well that'd be amazing um and then they go that's too much and then you go okay i'll just charge you a million then or or whatever it is but and then actually it could have cost 10 pounds you know but it doesn't matter it's what's if you're in hold of the cards you're the only ones that can provide it then that's yeah that's economic worth and so that's where you develop developing if you can products um that only where your streets streets ahead basically and if you can find something that is going to be an, a, a first, then you really in, you're really on to good ground. Um, I mean, the example I always use when I try and explain this to people is Hussein Bolt, 2012 Olympics. He's going to probably win the hundred meter race. Someone could say, "Oh, I was saying, you know, what's your day rate? This is uh, Richard Branson, Virgin, or whatever. I want to do. A, I want you to do to do a, an advert for me. 150 quid. Is that all right?" And he's going to, and he's, you know, I, I mean, and then his agent or, or whoever is saying, I'm sure he, he knows his worth is, um, now mate, <laughs> I'm, you know, it's 2012 Olympics. Uh, I'm going to charge you millions for that. So even though he has to turn up for one day and do a quick film shoot, which, you know, for a tradesman may be okay, but for him, because he's economic worth at that time in history is, uh, is worth millions. And that's, what he's going to charge so the, the mistake i made was i didn't do that i charged 150 quid kind of thing yeah. You know? yeah yeah i charged what it costs whereas now we're much more aware of it's project to project what is the worth of what we're doing here um and then and then that really helps because that that the profit you will get on that as a business is really helpful um so yeah what thank you that's a yeah really good answer um one thing i'm really interested in in uh, talking to all these people about is the idea that I think a lot of people in life, or probably all of us actually, at some point in our life we're here and we'd really love to be there. Yeah. We might not know where there is, but let's assume we do. Well, actually, no, we'd, we want to be not here, basically. Yeah, We yeah. want to change. So 
but it's we, we're here, but we want to be there. It sounds obvious, but it's so hard it for is, us to yeah. do. Yeah. And it's sometimes practical barriers. It's usually though inside our head, isn't it? Yeah. So I wonder when, what what were you doing before you met that sand sculpture guy? Um, did you have a proper job? Have you ever had a proper job? I worked in a fish and chip shop. Did you? Yeah, I love did it. Did you? In Bournemouth, yeah. What job? What were you doing in there? I was on the takeaway. I did was... you do the frying? No, I wasn't that good. Oh, you weren't I wasn't, good. I wasn't interested to do frying. Okay. I was the jovial it. Yorkshireman in Bournemouth when I was at university. Okay. Uh, no. so, uh, on, the, on, the, on the desks, yeah. shoveling chips and okay. fish and oh, stuff. Nice. But I loved working there. They never put on enough vinegar. Well, feedback for you if you if this fall falls down you end up back at Hebden Bridge well Chippy. you see I'm a bit of a vinegar ah, vinegar I love vinegar and fish and chips but if you if you're taking away my advice to anybody is don't put vinegar on it if you if you're taking it home put salt on it don't put vinegar the reason being is that if you put vinegar on it it sweats and you end up having a really mushy fish when it gets home all the batters the idea of frying something is it becomes crispy. And so you get it home and it's all mushy. Now, that might be some people's taste, but it's not to mine. And, uh, but if you put salt on it, which you're going to do anyway, more than likely, that actually helps with the vapour. Have some vinegar at home. Put your vinegar on at home. Wow, wise, wise <laughs> words. Okay. <laughs> Thank so, you. So I, was, I was not expecting that. So the here and there thing. Yeah. So I loved working yeah. in a fish and chip shop. What, what, I, what were you doing when you met that Norwegian guy? You were injured... Yeah, so I was Artist. at university. Oh, you're still a student? Yeah. So what, I was, that were was you nine. planning to get a proper job? Yeah, so I worked as an outdoor pursuits instructor. Um, so I finished university in environmental protection and I went to the Isle of Wight and did out, outdoor pursuits and teaching or trying to teach uh, environmental kind of outdoor studies to kids and stuff. Um, so I did that for a few years, actually. And then in between, I met this guy. I'd met the guy in Norway uh, and said hello in 1998, so some years before. And then he called me up whilst I was working at this 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 place, saying, oh, "Could I assist him for a summer?" So I did. And then the following year, he introduced me to um, these big festivals in Europe. Um, he basically vouched for me. Um, and when I got there, this guy showed me this huge pile of sand and said, "Hey man, is this okay?" And I was just like, "Okay." And I I'd only done. He says, "How long how long you've been sculpting, man?" And I was like. So I, I kind of told a bit of a fib in that I'd probably been sculpted for 14 days if I totted them up. But it was it was like five years before when I actually met this guy. So I said five years. And he was like, okay, there you go. So I, it was one of those moments, should I just go home and... Um, you know, just save my face. And I thought, well, actually, I've got nothing to lose. And this is the make the mistake thing. You know, it could have been a really humiliating exercise, but I thought, I'm going to give this a go. So I basically set to with my shovel and trowels um, and shoveled this. I made this monster, which is a great thing to make because it doesn't actually need to look like Realistic. Anything. Exactly, exactly. And then over those, I stayed there for maybe five, six weeks sculpting and then gradually improved. So I went to this other event after that, straight after that, where they were wanting more advanced things, but I'd kind of trained myself a little bit. So it was one of those things that's very fortuitous. And again, allowing yourself just to have a go. Because one of the things that um, sounds funny, we had a sports day the other day. My, my daughter had sports day and the parents, of course, do the race and stuff. And, uh, and I, you know, I came middle ground and stuff like that. And uh, someone asked me later on, says, oh, how'd you do? How'd you do? And I says, oh, I said, I, said, I, came, I came middle ground. And she went, oh, I says, you don't have to, be, you don't have to win to be a winner. Because my thing is you don't, you don't have to win it. You just have to, you have to take part. You have to do it. You have to try. Because a lot of the, 
a lot of the time people fail because they don't try in the first place. And so this thing of me being abroad sculpting was, you know, I was just trying. And it was a, it was a very organic um, adventure in life. I wasn't trying to get to there, if you like. It just was, it was an opportunity. Uh, and and then gradually um, more opportunities arose, and I'd kind of just jumped on it. And so in in those early years, the last the first two years, something of actually being a professional sculptor, um, you know, my my experiences in life and uh, my skills in sculpting were accelerated rapidly. It was a wonderful time actually. Um, and then you know, as you become better at anything, you I suppose your learning curve reduces in, in some ways plateaus a bit more um but yeah so here and there you know i then thought well there one day i would like a family and uh i can see my colleagues now sculptors but they travel the world and stuff which is really good but one day i i, I don't want to be doing that i'll probably want to settle down and stuff so that's when i developed sand in your eye and thought i want to have a business that is national based regionally based as well so that if i if i happen to want if i happen to you know meet meet a lovely lady and have a family and stuff that it's conductive to it and so that's kind of where that was so i was planning there then um and then we're in a space now where you know i've got you're there always changes it changes you know you achieve something and then you kind of uh have other ambitions ambitions are always fluid aren't they i suppose and so there is is that occasionally we get to do um really what i think are lovely beautiful uh like small like social pieces of art that have uh, um, um, a social meaning if you like but those are quite difficult to fund and, and what have you but it's something a direction which we'd like to go into more um whereas the work that we've got and we're really lucky is is more mainly commission uh, commercially based which is still so good to do in it and it allows us to um be working artists i suppose but therefore you know me now is is um trying to yeah open up new opportunities where we're able to do uh, more artistic works so as i said you know we did the fall of 9000 in 2013 where we made 9000 silhouettes on a beach in aramanche and it was to show visually what um 9000 people looks like and then that was the number of people that died in a day essentially so we drew those those silhouettes in a day and then they were washed away and that was produced with a colleague of mine andy moss and then um a couple of years ago we did something called please look after me wanting to raise awareness of homelessness and so we made eye sculptures across the country um and we want to develop this actually but of children actually the form and then we place them in notable locations like you know westminster etc and all over the country um to, sh to bring awareness of homelessness in the and then left them to melt and left them yeah so the idea is you know you got this vulnerable child form and that was logistics as well because it's it's easy to move because it's lighter um but it's invisible um, and so you stick a light in it and everyone can see it and they're really impressed but then actually when you turn the light off everyone nobody notices them they just walk past them um, and then there's that thing with ice it's a fragile medium uh, and and yeah and it was to just bring that and and because uh, it, it really troubles me homelessness is an awful thing it's like people at the end of the day would be very functional in society if they just had a bit more support um, and you know and and a, and a lot of people i feel um don't realize i find it hard to relate it's like well why is that person homeless they they must be lazy and it's like well that's not necessarily the case at all it's like if i had a problem we have i have quite a good family network uh, i'd go home basically someone would help you someone would help me yeah. whereas 
if I didn't have that and something happened, like it was really traumatic in life, and I didn't have somewhere to fall back, then you're in trouble. And then very quickly, that's when you become homeless. So a lot of people become homeless because they don't have a social, they don't have a network or they just need a bit of support, basically. Yeah. So when, when, you, um, when you began all of this, did you have any idea that it would lead to doing some social enterprise projects like this? Or were you just trying to make monsters and a bit of cash? Uh, <laughs> I think in the beginning, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just going from one... I was having fun, following my notes, yeah? I, I often... I have this thing called... Uh, maybe I'm... I don't know. I don't go on about it too much but anymore, but a path to fulfilment. If you... Um, if you want to do a particular... You, don't, you may not know what it is you want to do, but I, was always, I would always advise somebody to follow your nose as much as you can. So if you enjoy something, do it. Because one, you'll become better at it. And then other thing is that opportunities will arise that you don't even know exist. So when I said hello to that guy, a lot of people would, when he said, oh, do you want to have a go? A lot of people would say no. And then when it came to the, you know, if you want to, you can come to my studio. A lot of people would have gone, oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, of course I will. And then not got in touch. So there's that whole thing of taking opportunities. And then um, the path to fulfillment, these doors open that suddenly then I'm, I'm meeting eye sculptors. And I'm just like, that'd be incredible to do ice sculpture. Can I have a go? Like, yeah, of course you can. So I go to North, uh, go to uh, Finland and do some ice sculpting, enter a competition with a really cool artist, actually. But then we won it. And so after a week of ice carving, I was an international champion. And so then I could basically blag my way into that kind of uh, field. And so these opportunities just arise, and then someone says, you know, could you do a sand drawing? I don't know what sand drawing is. So I look at it and try and work it out. Like, yeah, we can give it a go. Um... And so these opportunities open the, it's the path of, in, of, of something you enjoy. And it's easy to do that when you're younger, I think. Because when, when I was younger, I had no money uh, to do things, but I did have time. So I was able to commit time to pondering and experimenting and uh, having a go at stuff. Whereas these days, I've probably got more finance, but I have very, very little time to, to really uh, do a lot of stuff. Like just going for a swim, you know, it's, quite difficult you have to schedule find. it in yeah yeah do things while you're young young man is the yeah. advice don't undo you yeah because you know young guys and girls oh, I've got no cash to this and this but it's like no just just do your best experience things because actually those experiences will be the foundations for your life later on I think that's a perfect point to end on um, <laughs> thank you so much Jamie right. I've really been really fascinated by uh your work is is brilliant. Cool, um, thank you very much. Thank you for squeezing me into your your, <laughs> your busy day. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, don't worry. We'll, but thank you for coming as well. Oh, thanks very much. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com/podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their inspiring collections. 
Are you exploring a new area and not sure where to begin? Type in where you want to go and local collections will suggest a number of cycling or hiking tours based on the most scenic routes. It's a great way to get started exploring in a new place, particularly if you don't know where to begin. Wherever you find yourself, your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash chi and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.